verses 9 through 18. You'll find that on page 1063 in your pew Bible. Again, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. It is an honor and encouragement to us that you're here, and we hope that we can encourage you and that together we can worship God and, and that our lives will be blessed by this occasion. Isn't it strange that we can live in such large homes and houses filled with so many things and garages filled with vehicles and equipment and storage sheds filled with things that are seasonal and all the extra things, but yet we feel so empty? Isn't it strange that we can live in a house full of people, we can live in a neighborhood that is somewhat congested, we can go to work and be surrounded by people or in schools surrounded by people and go to stores and malls and all about community life, but yet feel so lonely? Isn't it strange that we can be busy all day long checking off to do, to do, to do things off of our list? And finally, at the end of the day, we've checked off 25 things, but yet sometimes feel so useless. How is it sometimes that life can seem so empty? We've been looking for several lessons this month about our purpose, about trying to find meaning to our life. Sometimes individuals describe their life as a puzzle with something missing. You see, they'll explain that it's not that, it's, that everything has fallen apart. I have a good family. I have a nice job. I like the community I live in. But there just seems that something is missing. 
I have possessions. I have relationships. I have good things that I do in my life, but something is missing from the text that we have had so capably read for us. That beautiful book of Hebrews. A book that not only challenges us each paragraph we read, but it even challenges us in each verse that we read, and even if we break it down to each individual phrase, has so much meaning. We literally could study for over a month and not be redundant at all in just the text that was read this morning. But what's striking to me is when the Hebrew writer makes the plea for you and I to see Jesus. Look at that verse again. As you look back in verse 9, it started, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels. Now, when we put this in perspective to what we just mentioned by way of introduction, but then also the verses that led up to this that we didn't read in the text this morning, it really becomes a striking plea that the Hebrew writer is saying our life is different when we see Jesus. So many would make the argument to an individual that says, I just have a piece missing out of my life. They would say, you need to do more scoping of your own life. You need to read more self-help books. You need to find within you what is that piece that is missing. You need to evaluate your goals. You need to look at what drives you in your life. And it's almost like the Hebrew writer is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something that's possible to overlook. But when you do, you will have overlooked the very thing that is fulfilling in life. See Jesus. We don't have a slide for it, but I'd like to go back and scan a couple of verses for you earlier in this book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the second chapter, still the same chapter, but look back to verse 1. He says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Now notice those two phrases. Give a more earnest heed, unless we drift away. Now notice the next, as we skip down to verse 3. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord Jesus and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. And then the following verses talk about this Lord Jesus that left heaven and He came to earth. He was higher than the angels, but because He took upon Himself the form of flesh and blood, now He is made lower than the angels. And it's in that setting that we read verse 9 where He says, but we see Jesus. Do you see what the Hebrew writer is saying to us here? It's almost as if he's nudging our shoulders and he's saying, Hey, take heed to the words. He said, well, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare not think about not taking heed to the words of Jesus. And the Hebrew writer is saying, It's easy to drift away. Then he says, How are you going to escape? Escape what? escape damnation on the day of judgment if we what? Neglect so great a salvation. Do you see the way the Hebrew writer is approaching this? He's not writing to rebellious people that are atheists that declare a fight against God. 
He's writing to those that would say, I'm a God-fearing individual, but are you drifting away? I'm a God-fearing individual, but have you begun to neglect the way of salvation? How do you lose a garden? There's many ways to come to the fall time of the year and not have anything to harvest. One is, just don't ever plant a garden. You won't have anything to harvest. Another is to go out there and let the garden be growing and then decide you'll just set it afire. I I hate gardens anymore. I'm going to burn it up. You know, another way is to plant the garden and then just neglect it. Don't do anything. Just neglect it. Oh, it's not that you're anti-garden. It's not that you wouldn't ever put a garden out. Yes, sir, I put the garden out. No, no, I'm not against gardening, no. Well, where's your harvest? Oh, I neglected my garden. We've seen neglected teeth. We've seen neglected checking accounts. The Hebrew writer is saying, let me warn you about neglected faith. If we're going to find our place in life, if we're going to find our fulfillment in life, we're going to have to make sure that we find Jesus. It is a focus on Jesus that keeps us from drifting away. It's a continual focus on Jesus, which also would be the plea of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the first four verses. It's a continual focus on Jesus that will help us to be, to, to be willing to lay down the burdens of sin that so easily beset us, and that will run for the one that's the author and finisher of our faith. So it is with this in mind that we go back and let's read now that verse 9 completely. He says, but we see Jesus, not neglecting Jesus, not letting Jesus drift away from us. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one. Burton Kaufman has a phrase that's worthy of quoting about this particular verse. He says this, This verse has one of the most astounding statements in the Bible, that Christ was crowned with glory and honor in order that He might taste death for every man. By the grace of God, He was crowned with that glory and honor. What glory is there in execution? What honor is it to be sped upon and a back ripped open through scourging? To have a robe upon your shoulders but yet to be made mockery of? What honor and glory is it to hang on a cross and suffocate to death? It was a tremendous honor. A tremendous glory. Because He was tasting death for us. Now as we look to the next few phrases, I want you to notice, as we look now at verse 10 and 11, I want you to notice the word glory. As we look at 10 and 11 and see this glory and honor that was bestowed upon Christ, He wants to bring that on to other people. And if you'll note, we just read that He tasted death for every man, for all mankind. But notice what happens in 10. 
For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing, notice this phrase, Jesus is bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now as we look at this, Notice, as we go to this next slide, how we break down verse 10. Notice the first part of verse 10 says, For it, it was fitting for Him. It was fitting. It was appropriate for Christ. Why was it appropriate for Christ that He be the one that would bring us to become sons or daughters of glory? In other words, we're all created. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 by God. But Christ wants to bring us to another point of creation. He wants to bring us to a point of glory in creation. Not to just be men and women, but He wants us to be men and women of glory. In other words, invited into His family, a place to belong in His family, which on this earth is the church. And so when we look at this, why is it fitting for Him to do this? Notice the few phrases in the first part of verse 10 where he said, for whom, and talking about for in Christ, are all things, and by whom, by Christ, are all things. So in other words, everything that's you and I, and everything that's good, is for the purpose and the fulfillment of Christ. Everything that's including you and I, and everything that is good, was made by Christ. Now, on this next slide, we're going to see a passage out of Ephesians, the first chapter, and also Ephesians, the second chapter. If you remember two weeks ago, we studied this passage of Ephesians, the first chapter. I want you to notice a few things as we point out that all of this is either for Christ or that it is by Christ as we look at these. We're going back to Ephesians, the first chapter. Notice verse 11. Ephesians, the first chapter and verse 11. In Him, that's talking about in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, in other words, predetermined, according to the, what? Purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It was predestined before time what we should be and what we should accomplish in our life. And that is that we should fulfill the purpose of Christ. Note this. He's not talking about here that it was predestined for time Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Even though I'm sure that was planned before time too. Here he's talking about that new creature that we are to become. Let's read Ephesians, the second chapter, and it'll bring light to even this of first chapter and verse 11. In Ephesians, the second chapter, notice verse 10. He's talking about Christians now when he says, for we. He's not talking about everybody out in the world. He's talking about Christians, those that are his glorious sons and daughters. Notice what he says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, now wait, let's get this on timeline. When did all of these... When, did all of these, uh, when were all these plans made? He says, beforehand. We read back in the first chapter, verse 11, it's predestined. 
Before Christianity ever came about on this earth, before the foundations of the world were laid, Christ had a plan that He would redeem mankind. And while mankind was on this earth, Christ would give them a place to dwell within His family, the church. And He would give them a purpose. He would exalt them that they would be sons and daughters of the Father. And that He would give them worth and worthy activities. Here He says, for all good works. Now, we also could look back at John, the first chapter, in verse 3, he talks about that through Christ all things were made and nothing was made without Him. But you see, the point is, you and I must find how important we are because of our identity in Christ. And when we find that, not only do we find our worthiness, but we also find out how important it is that we're used in the manner and by the design that we were created. Our designer makes us valuable. We are sons and daughters of glory. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, we read the verses previous to this were about being careful how we judge, to make sure that we have the beam cast out of our eye before we go and try to cast the piece of dust out of our neighbor's eye. One of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible, that's the verse that everybody knows and quotes and says, we're not supposed to judge. And the truth is, that paragraph is teaching we are supposed to judge. That's how people twist scriptures around. But what that verse, those verses are teaching us is that we are first to cleanse our own life and then we go to help someone, not to condemn them. We go to help them also cleanse their life. Now, this verse is given in the setting that you can't expect to also go out in the world and have that same powerful effect. Because you see, people out in the world won't value Christ, and they won't value the Christian life, and they won't value the standard of righteousness. And so it's in this setting that we read Matthew the seventh chapter and verse six: Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Can you imagine taking something as valuable as pearls and throwing them out to the pigs? And of course we wouldn't do that because pearls of great value and a pig would not value the pearl at all. Oh, I can't imagine a pig slipping that strand of necklace there on their neck and, and going around and making sure they keep it up out of the mud and making sure when the other pigs come to bite their ears and to, to growl at them that they keep the pearls away from them so they won't... Hey, do you realize how valuable these are? Don't get your mud on these. Well, that's ridiculous. And that is the almost comical, ridiculous manner that Jesus wanted us to see this. When we recognize who we are, the design that has been given to us as children of God, I'm not talking about just created from Adam and Eve's descendants. I'm talking about our design as, if you are a Christian this morning, you have been made into the workmanship of Christ. Don't take that 
pearl and cast it before swine and expect swine to appreciate it. Don't sit and talk with your co-worker at work about the, the spiritual things and expect them to say, I'm so glad you value those things. Don't expect to go to a friend at school that's worldly and expect them to encourage you to live the Christian life. It's not because those things are not valuable. It's because they are not appreciated by individuals that do not value them. Rembrandt's portrait of a lady, age 62, stayed in the same family for over 200 years, and when it was auctioned, it auctioned for almost $28 million, and then shortly after that, it was put up for sale for $37.5 million. A Stradivarius violin has been copied probably more often than any other violin because it's believed that it is the perfect instrument to obtain the volume and the tone that a violin should have. And so you hold up a copy and you hold up an original that was made back in Italy in the 1600s and which one is going to bring great amounts of money? We know the answer to that. Why? Because of the designer. And because it's believed that those designers, those individuals that made this workmanship, they were some of the best. Friends, from the book of Hebrews, I'm pleading with you to realize that what the Hebrew writer is trying to get us to see as He's trying to get us to see Jesus. And when we see Jesus that was willing to be crowned with glory and honor and taste death for all men, but yet all men aren't going to be brought to honor. It'll only be the sons and the daughters that come to honor and come to glory. And it'll be because they recognize the value and that for which they were designed for Christianity. I remember laying in the living room floor back in 1997, and I was watching the Antique Roadshow. I know some of you think I have an exciting life. And uh, I really enjoy that show. I don't get to see it much anymore, but I really do enjoy that show. And, and you know, the reason that I enjoy it, which I'm sure if any of you do enjoy it, it would be a similar reason. It's the idea that these people walk in with something that was just an everyday item around their home, and, and they thought maybe it might have some value, and they walk in. Well, in this particular episode, this, this little lady, sweet-looking little lady, walks in, and and, and the, uh, Lee and Leslie there, the two brothers that are experts in furniture appraisal, you know, they begin to gawk, you know. And, and even during the interview, they, the one says, this is the most exciting moment of my life. And, and what they saw there was they saw a federal-style card table. It had all kind of beautiful inlays in it. And they immediately turned to each other and said, do you think it is? They opened the lid and they found that it was. It was original. From a family in Boston that made the nicest furniture for the wealthiest people in America. 
So they went to her and said, tell us your story. She says, well, I needed some kind of little table, and I was, I, I was out in yard sailing, and, and I saw this one, and it was pitch black and dirty, and, and the woman had it out in the yard, and she wanted $30. All I had was $25. I asked her if she'd take $25. She said, yes, I'll take $25. She said, I went home, and I began to put some linseed oil on it, and I began to clean it up, and I noticed those inlays. I thought, wow, that's pretty. That's beautiful. She said, after I got done cleaning it up, I thought, you know, this might be worth a little bit. This is a pretty little table. When they get through appraising it, they say, you know, if this went to an auction house today, it would bring at least 200000 and probably up towards 250000 Then they close that by saying, the truth is, if it was a good day at the auction house, this would definitely bring $300,000. Well, she tried them out. Shortly after that, she took it to the auction house, and it brought over $500,000. It all goes back to the designer. It was that family in Boston. They knew the work. Collectors wanted it. Friends, I'm not suggesting to you that we are collector's items and that that we ought to be set up on a pedestal. But I'm telling you from the Word of God, Christ was crowned with glory because He tasted death for all men. And He invites those that want to be a part of a special work. They want to be a part of the Christian cause. They want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They want to be a, a piece of clay in the hands of Jesus that says, I can mold you into something special. I can give you a purpose. So that at the end of the day, you may have checked a lot of things off of a list, but more than anything you know, your life is right with God. You've said prayers for people you love and God's heard them. No matter what happens on this earth, you have the hope of eternity. Friends, The Hebrew writer is writing to Christians. And he's pleading, don't let these words drift away. Don't let that salvation be neglected. See Jesus. And He can bring you to the points of being sons and daughters of glory. I want to extend the invitation. If you'll notice again verse 11 there. At the end of verse 11 he says, talking about Jesus, He is not ashamed to call them brethren. What a privilege. We sometimes speak often about whether or not we are ashamed of Jesus. And we need to speak often about that. It is a shame if we are ashamed of Jesus. We should be willing to stand up for the name of Jesus. Stand up for the cause of Christianity. But here he's not talking about that. Here he says, Jesus will not be ashamed of you. When we read in Matthew the 10th chapter... We read that if we're not ashamed of Jesus on this earth, and we confess Him before men, that He'll confess us before the Father which is in heaven. But we also read that if we deny Him on earth before men, notice this, He will deny us before the Father which is in heaven. Let's make sure that we're not living our life in such a way that Jesus would be ashamed of us. One of the great privileges we have of being invited into His family is that we can be redeemed. 
Not because we've always been perfect, not because we deserve salvation, but because of the grace of God, because He's tasted death for all men, because He's invited us into His glorious family, we can be redeemed. And because of that, we live in response to that. We live a life of righteousness for God. Not ashamed of Him, but living for Him. Friends, we live in a society, and I'll walk carefully on this, but you think about it. You can go to any funeral for anybody, and by the time that funeral's over, they're in heaven. The Lord says, Few there be that find it. So the majority of the funerals correct today? Or is the Lord correct? But it can't be both. We live in a society where just the general line of thinking is, just be a good person and the Lord's not ashamed of you. And the Lord says, I tasted death for all mankind, but not all mankind will be sons of glory. Starksville, Mississippi, a few decades ago, a man had lived a wicked life and his wife had lived a faithful life. At the man's funeral, the preacher of a denomination stood up and said, thank God this man was saved as a young man. Now that since he was saved, we know that he rests in heaven. But then the preacher went on to talk about the raunchy, wicked life that this man had lived. And in the middle of the funeral service, the widow stood up and said, Shut up! It's your damnable doctrine that convinced him that he could live any way he wanted to live, thinking that he'd always be saved. I've heard enough. And the preacher sat down. Friends, the Lord says salvation can be neglected. The Lord says these words can drift away. The Lord says we better keep our focus on Him because He wants all of us to be brought in sons of glory so that He will not be ashamed of us, especially on that final day where we can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This morning, is the Lord ashamed of you right now? It doesn't have to be that way because He'll forgive you and He'll invite you into His family. That's the beautiful thing. There's none of us here perfect, but we can all be right with God. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? If you have done that, but yet you strayed away, you've neglected some things, you've let some things drift, it's time to come back and time to tend to the spiritual garden of life. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.